0: This is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner-Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts.
1: me some truth. Today we're doing a little bit of a moderator panel discussion here talking about some of the uh, current market events and um, kind of what this means for people and how they should look at uh, their portfolio and and more so uh, how they should look at it going forward. This isn't the last uh, downturn we're going to have. So how should people react to these times? So we have myself, Nate Condon, we have Clint and Mitch also in the booth. I'm going to be the the moderator, if you will. I tried to think of a good moderator person last night uh, that I could kind of resemble, but I, I kind of came up blank on that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just be me today. You be so you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be me. So all right, let's get into the first question. So should I freak out? Uh, based on what has happened in the markets uh, and what impact that's having on my portfolio, my investments, my net worth. Clint, should people freak out Dude, right now? Dude, freak out. Just, just get just down. Let it go. Just freak just, it out. Let it go. Get under your bed. Curl up. Don't come back outside. <laughs> I'm
2: going to yell at the moon. Just go outside, <laughs> sure, yell at sure, the moon. sure. Freak out. Yeah, right. I mean, read every story that you can. Believe every economist. Out. Yes, yes. So, I mean, let's take a moment to kind of, you know, Take a look at where we're at, right? For this year, so uh, we ended up starting out the year quite well, and uh, you know, by about March, everything was looking wonderful. Um, you know, all the financial advisors out there were just geniuses if they put you into equities. Uh, everything was beautiful, and then everything started to kind of like fall apart a little bit, and then it perked back up again, and we hit another higher high, and then we had the dreaded September October market, and things sunk back down, and we gave back all our returns. Um, and a bunch of global returns are negative for the year, and bonds are negative for the year, and everything sucks, right? <laughs> so that that's where we're at right now, right? Everything sucks, except for the last couple of days, which have been a little rally here um, at the beginning of November. So, you know, is it time to freak out right now? Well, I, I guess... Let's let's take a look at some reasons why somebody might want to be concerned. Well, we won't even say freak out. Why would why would somebody be concerned, Mitch? Why would somebody be concerned? Oh, oh I'm items? the moderator. here. don't don't be jumping in
1: here yeah, and okay. taking over the moderator role. Fair <laughs> so should I still answer? It's a power question? struggle right here on <laughs> the podcast, <bike, yes. laughs> pulling each other's mics away. Uh, yeah, one of you guys say why I
2: I can can time it too, but go ahead, sure,
0: sure. So, I think a lot of people look at the fact that we, we are at this bull run, right? And they just look at the history over time. You know, this bull market run goes for you know seven years approximately or so on average. We're already past that, even though there's a lot of good economic fundamentals that are in place here. But people say, oh, we're at the top, you know, and this is the first. Dip that is potentially just going to go down, and everything's going to be two thousand eight again. So I think just that thought of oh, we're near the top, right? We're near the peak. That might be a reason that people might start to freak out, and we're, we're seeing some people freak out, and people in the media are writing these stories. And we've referenced on other podcasts, but the the stock trader on the the trading floor pulling his hair out, watching all the charts turn red and they're going down, and people consume these articles and they consume what they see online and and they say, yeah, we're at a peak. Therefore, we're going to go down and we've been in this bull run for nine plus years and we're just, we're due. We're due for a recession.
2: Yeah. And then also you look at, okay, the Fed is raising interest rates. You know, Commonly speaking, when interest rates go up and they go up rather quickly, that tends to slow the economy down. And and there is some intention of that, of the Fed not to overheat the economy. Um, So the Fed's kind of Turning the screws a little bit to do that. Uh, we're also seeing that as a result of those higher interest rates, there's something called the inverted yield curve. Whereas, if the short-term rates become higher than the long-term rates, which hasn't happened yet, but it's close. If that does happen, that's usually a signal for recession. So, those are are concerning things. Uh, we had an earnings season that was generally wildly positive, but. The forward guidance that these companies gave was not as positive as anticipated. So, you know, what's happened is, uh, you know, earnings have started to be restated for future quarters and they're not going to be quite as good. So, that might be indic- indicative of saying that, uh, you know, the best might be over in this sort of record earnings. Now, uh, if we put that in context, too, it, it might not mean that the earnings are record breaking. They're just really good coming up. So we all have to kind of put that aside as well and say, hey, you know, very good earnings might not be elite earnings, but they're still very good. And look at housing, too, right? I mean, housing is starting to slow down it a is. little
0: bit. Yeah. People aren't aren't moving and buying new homes as much. And it's not the put your house in the market one day later, you've accepted an offer, so part part of that is cuz it's it's getting more expensive for a mortgage, right? Cuz with rates going up, mm-hmm. that, that affects mortgages and home buying, but you know, that's another thing that people are looking at.
1: But in all seriousness, Clint, so why why shouldn't people as we're saying in this, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek, but somewhat serious, why shouldn't people freak out right now? I mean, what what are the what are the reasons what are the tenants out there is to say? What well, this this there's, there's characteristics within the market right now that clearly say we shouldn't be as concerned as the headlines tell us we should be. What are those?
2: Yeah, there's some economic reasons, and there's some personal finance reasons I think we'll get into a little bit later in the podcast. But um, you know, economically right now, we had a report today that said that wage growth was, was the best that it's been since 2009. So we're seeing... Uh, consumers have more money in their pockets to spend. Consumer spending has been very strong. Earnings, as I alluded to, are, are very solid. Uh, you know, you just have a situation where we're rising interest rates too. I mean, if you take a look at that, what is the Fed signaling to us when they're raising interest rates? And what they're saying is the economic environment's very positive. So we're able to raise interest rates and get them back to more normal levels, just simply because we have a very good economic environment. So you know, th- this could go on for a long time, and You know, that's one thing that frustrates me when people say, oh, we're just due for the next downturn. You're like, says who? You know, uh, the the adage is always that, um, you know, bull markets don't die of old age. You know, they die of something else that, that is a, you know, Extenuating circumstance that comes into this situation, and all of a sudden, you know, the market reacts negatively to it. So there's got to be a lot worse news for the market to go down significantly, in my opinion.
1: And I think it's also interesting, maybe just slightly in a different direction. But I think it's always interesting too when people um, kind of want to talk about like when the bull market ends, or when the the bear market, or the, even the correction starts. When when we look at the empirical data, and when when economists talk to us about it. It it starts before we've even realized it started. And that's what's so interesting about it is that people kind of have this anticipation or this thought in their mind that they're going to be able to literally see the day that this started. Most of these downturns, it starts before people even really, or said another way, you're already into it maybe a month or even three months before people have even realized it's kind of started. And then generally you're out of it before people even realize that it's over. So it's this kind of disconnect of timing too that I think is really interesting for people when they, they think, well, it must be starting now. Well, it might have started a month ago or a month and a half or two months ago. It might not even have started. I mean, just kind of drawing this idea of start and stop is very, you know, in in the moment is is almost impossible to do. And so um, that's also a, a pet peeve of ours in the office is that's, that's what economists were. That's the job of economists is to tell us those things in uh, hindsight not to be prognosticators, and when we've made them celebrities and prognosticators, uh, you know, we kind of let the genie out of the bottle on that one, but I don't, the genie's <laughs> yeah. not going back in the bottle. So,
0: moderator, can I chip in?
1: You sure can. Okay. I, would, I would prefer to be known as moderator <laughs> from that point, this point order. That would be great, not Mr. Moderator, just <laughs> moderator, moderator. <laughs> and
0: and it can be a couple different things, right? Because it meaning stock market correction doesn't necessarily mean recession, right? Those are two different things because we see corrections regularly. We see them almost every year in the stock market at some point in time where the market's repriced and and things kind of get back at a a, quote-unquote normal level. But recession- Let me jump in
1: just for a second. Let's define what is correction. So somebody, because we threw these words around, so- 10% down from- A peak, we'll say, in this market. Mm -hmm. Right. So that I think that's an important one. I just had a client ask me that a couple days ago. What actually is a correction? So I think we throw these words around and don't even, not we necessarily, but I think in general, we use these words and don't really know what they mean. 10% from top to bottom. And then, Clint, what's a bear market?
2: 20%.
1: 20% from top to bottom. So that that is the definition of correction and bear market. Sorry, keep Uh, going.
0: And then furthermore, recession, then. We have to actually look at two consecutive quarters of... Of an environment where things GDP is going down. So again, correction, bear market, recession—they're all different things. Even though I think
1: sometimes
2: people can clump them into to one one thing.
1: Right. I think that's a great point.
2: Yeah, and it's also worth saying that you know just because the GDP is going down or up at that time doesn't mean that the market is reacting to that. Um, It's a kind of a lagging. Indicator, it's not really a leading indicator there. So, um, you know, stock market's projecting future earnings, so that's where it's valued today. So, if future earnings were to be markedly lower, uh, one would say the stock market should be lower uh, or trending lower right now. So, the stock market's going to be there. It's kind of going to the ball before the ball gets there. So, uh, let me let me take you through one thing too, because I think that's always fun too to, to look back at a past year. I just pulled up 2016. And I looked at all the macro events, some of the uh, headlines that, that hit that year. Brexit. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so we had Brexit. You're exactly right. We had a plunge of oil. And then it had a huge rally as well. So we had a worldwide oversupply of oil And the market just crashed. Peak oil. Peak oil. We had peak oil, and now we have oversupply of oil. And now we had rebounded, and there was an OPEC announcement to reduce output. All that happened in 2016. The stock market got off to its worst two-week start ever, stoked by concerns over China's slowing economy and its depreciating currency. Wall Street began, this is, I love this writing. Wall Street began 2016 in a bona fide death spiral. Major indices took about a 10% haircut in the first two weeks of trading, setting a record. Didn't something happen in the elections that year, too? Something did. Something did. Uh, we had a surprise uh, election. We had a soft IPO market. 2016 was the worst year for IPOs since t- 2003, with money raised through news, new issues down about 40%. Uh, you know, You had rising interest rates there. And guess what happened that year? The Dow hit 20,000, and we hit record
1: highs. That's a great point. And I think that's what we've talked about before in the office, which is which is these headlines, these, these events. People, this idea that it's different this time, or that you know what's happening today is way worse than what was happening last year, or the year before, or the year before that. I mean, those the, what you just went through there were incredibly um, uh, uh, kind of economic shaking headlines and, and, and events. And still the market has appreciated since then and gone up. And so that's kind of our argument when people say, well, should I be doing something different now? You go, well, if you would have done something different in 2006, you would have just missed out on three more years of, of growth, uh, assuming this year ends up. We'll see where it happens. But you would have missed a, a huge amount of upside because you were trying to anticipate you know that, that uh that start of the downturn. And guess what? In 2006, January, those first two weeks, everybody was saying this is the end of the bull market. Yeah. 2016, it was done. And look what happened. 16, it was up. 17 was up and it kept going. So we're not prognosticating that it's going to continue to run for another two or three or four or five years. But what we are saying is have a little caution, just assuming that this is the end, just because it's long in the tooth. Because guess what? It was long in the tooth in 2016 and it ran for another two years and we'll see where it's at this year. So... Um, but the the big one I want to get to on this question is the the initial question we asked is this the time to freak out? Why is that the, the wrong way to look at events or why is that the wrong question to ask?
0: Well, for most of our clients we're well for not <laughs> I should re- restart that we're not trying to market time for any of our clients right and and if we're taking these these moments of whether it's a correction or just a volatile market, we're not trying to, to market time any of these moves. Now, we do rebalance regularly, right? And by continuously rebalancing on a monthly basis, that helps us for our long-term goals. But it's not time to freak out because we're investing this money for the long-term. It's for a goal. It's earmarked towards retirement, typically. But there are other goals as well, child's education, all these other things. And our clients don't need the money tomorrow, right? And these long-term goals are, are baked in corrections. The volatility is baked into these long-term plans.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think that one of the things that, uh, I'll be frank, it, it frustrates me when I hear uh, from clients when, when they say, say something to us like, well, should we, just, like, should we just move to cash and things like that? I mean, look, investing in the stock market is not easy and you go through downturns, and you go through good and bad times. And if you want to get those seven up years out of 10, which is kind of the average, and we all know that that it rarely hits its average, if you want to achieve those seven up years out of 10, if that persists in the future, uh, you have to participate in the stock market and accept the fact that you're going to have three down years. And you're going to have to be okay losing money from time to time. And I think the other part of it is, You know, if you had a $100 in investment and it went up to $160 and then it goes down to $120, what's your rate of return, Mitch? You're still up 20 bucks. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. If it was uh, over a year, you're up 20%. 20%. But you know what? How are people normally going to react to something like that? I'm down. I'm down. I'm down from the peak. Yeah. Right. So you have to stop... You know, making your benchmark whatever your last highest dollar amount was. And people anchor on certain dollar amounts too, especially our, our clients that are right around the one million mark. They never want to drop below being a millionaire, which I kinda get. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to either, but that's the deal.
1: That's a big comma to drop out of your net worth. And I you know, lose that second yeah. comma. That's that's a big deal when that comes out of the number. Yeah. Nine ninety nine is not one zero 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 zero. It's not the same. Yeah, totally. Um so I, I think
2: that, you know, it's a situation where you gotta just look at it and not get so panicked by a short term sort of noise. And I don't know whether this is a correction or a bear market. What I what I will say is that there's no indications that we're entering another two thousand eight market. I mean, there's no valuation things like that out there. There's not anything that would cause me to panic as an investor. Um, you know, personally I'm not Doing anything, you know, rash, or I'm not making any major moves in my own personal portfolio. So, um, you know, I think it's just one of those things. You got to look at your time frame.
1: This this next question is is uh, one I think that that really hits home, and and it's it's uh, something that every investor. If you're not defining this for yourself, you are playing in the middle of the street, and that is not what you want to be doing. So, why is it important to define? whether you're a buy-and-hold investor or whether you're a tactical investor. So first of all, let's define what those two things are. So Mitch, what's the difference between buy-and-hold as an investor as an investment strategy and tactical as an investment strategy?
0: So buy-and-hold is linked to longer term, right, from a time frame perspective. You buy, you hope that it appreciates over time through capital appreciation and dividends and interest, and you hope it goes up, right, because you're investing for a reason. It's typically some sort of long-term goal. Again, retirement, for example. And you hold knowing that there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. But over time, we've seen you know, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years plus, we've seen the markets appreciate. So that's kind of the buy and hold strategy. And you hope at some point it grows to a point where you can start taking money out during the time of your life where you actually need some income and, and pull from those funds.
2: And you're kind of maintaining that allocation. Like if you're a 60-40 investor, you're saying you're, you're going to maintain kind of that 60-40 between stock and bonds, you know, you're know, you going to continually maintain that unless you decide to uh, change your risk tolerance because of time frame, correct? Right. And on the other side, from the tactical perspective, right, that's
0: where you're, you're trying to make moves. You're trying to capitalize on, on blips where, where it's down. All right, buy more because I think whatever it is, it, it could be an individual stock or a, a sector fund, something like that. You think it's going to appreciate, right? You believe in, in, in making that move now because you want to capitalize on it. And or like Bitcoin, for example, it, it's more speculative type investment where, hey, it's it's low. Maybe I think it's going to go up. I believe in blockchain technology. I believe in this potential future currency. And I'm going to make a move because it's low and I want to just get returns. I make a tactical move. I make a trade with the expectation that you think it could go up in a shorter amount of time. And you really want to just capitalize those short term returns.
2: Yeah. And it's a it's really a continuum. Uh, of what you are. I mean, if you are true, true, true buy and hold, let's say you'd buy, you know, say so you'd buy 60% in the SP 500 and you'd buy 40% in the aggregate bond, you'd hold it forever. You'd never rebalance it, which would actually make you more aggressive over time. You'd just, sit there and doggedly hold your investment. And maybe you're feeding it with money, but you're just going to sit there and hold. And then the other side, tactical, extreme tactical, might be a day trader. right? You're going in there and every day, you're closing out all your positions and you're starting the day with whatever balance you had. And you're trading in and out of stocks intraday. So there's a continuum there of where people want to hit. And I think what people want to do when the market gets a little squirrely right now is they want to start swinging their investments more and more towards tactical and more and more towards timing and trading and they want activity and so it's like well it might not be the right time to do that and, and commonly what people want to do is they want to get more conservative and to stop the bleeding and stop the pain and um what i say to a lot of our clients you know that say hey i i, I want to get more conservative or considering getting more conservative the answer to them is why you know why do you want to do that and usually it's just like well i, I have a feeling it's going to go down and i'm like well feelings are great but we need data
1: and i think the 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 thing to take away from there or, or the call out to that i guess is maybe a better way to say it for people is you you have then become a tactical trader yes you are a tactical investor now and and that's the thing you're you are a market timer right and that's the thing that people don't and especially for the people that want to get more conservative that does not kind of enter into their thinking at all. They're going, wait, I'm getting more conservative. I'm not I'm not being tactical. No, that is a tactical move that you made right there. You reacted based on what the market did. You kind of went against the long-term, as Mitch has alluded to. You went against the long-term kind of plan that was in place, your retirement plan or, or you know the financial plan that we've worked out for you. We're going against that. So we're letting current market conditions dictate that decision. We are moving based on what is happening today and not what is happening over a long-term. And we are making moves that, that kind of breaks the, the allocation of the portfolio. Those are all foundational uh, characteristics of a true tactical investor.
2: Hey, Nate, I'm, I'm just going to get more conservative for a couple years, because then I'll know more.
1: Right, and then I'll know more, and then I'll get back in. So two things about that, and we say that tongue in cheek because this is what we hear, right? Um, OK, first of all, you're not going to know more, right? Because that's like saying today, I'm going to know more about tomorrow. But if I wait till tomorrow, then I'll know more about the next day. Guess what? You're never going to know more about the next day in the day you're in. It doesn't work like that or the next week or the next month or the next year. It doesn't work like that. All we're really saying when we say I'll know more is I don't want to do anything today and so I'm just basically punting and so therefore I'm I'm going to wait because I don't want to have to make a decision today. It's really what it is. It's it's procrastination is really what it is and, and kind of burying our head in the sand, which is an active decision that we've made. So. People have to understand that when we make moves like that reactionary because of what's happened in the last week or last month or last year in the market, you have become a tactical investor. We're not saying it's bad to be a tactical investor. We're just saying you have to realize that you have then become a tactical investor and you can't be buy and hold on the upside and then tactical on the downside. That uh, That is playing in the middle of the street, in the middle of the highway. You are going to get hurt. As the analogy we like to use the most dangerous spot on the football field is 1 foot in bounds and 1 foot out of bounds because you're still in bounds you can still get hit but you can't advance the ball down the field because you're still technically out of bounds. That is not where you want to be. You need to either be on the field or you need to be in the stands. There's no in between. And if we are buy and hold on the upside and tactical on the downside, we have just decided to put ourselves right in the danger zone, and that's that's a horribly bad place to be.
2: And I'd say philosophically, from our firm, I mean, we generally, you know, just tend to go more down the the buy and hold path. Path I would call us to be, you know, significantly more in that camp than the tactical camp. I mean, if we make allocation changes, it's hey, we're we're gonna you know slightly overweight global versus U.S. things like that. We're gonna utilize some different, you know, maybe. Asset classes that we like here and there, but generally, I mean, we don't we don't tactically move in and out of markets, and we're not doing a lot of like sector biases or anything in our own uh, investing. So, but
1: I think it's important to call out too that buy and hold doesn't mean that we're static. It doesn't mean that we're not doing anything. It right. doesn't mean that there's lack of activity. It means that you are making the opportunistic moves that are made within a buy and hold strategy or philosophy, which is potentially more rebalancing. Potentially um, looking at um, you know, kind of how we handle what's called like tax, tax loss harvesting at the end of the year and making moves that way. But it is not moving um, percentages within the allocation, it's not getting significantly more aggressive, significantly more conservative. It is not turning those dials. It's saying we believe in the analogy that Clint uses the 60-40 model, for example. If we believe that that's the right mix, then the rebalancing back to 60-40 is simply a nod back to more buy and hold. We're getting the portfolios back to where they need to be because of the move that's happened in the market. That is not a tactical move. And those are the the, the moves that we make when the market gets the way it gets. It's really common, and we understand this from clients to want to do something. We get it. It's not it's not an unnatural feeling. It's not something that you should feel bad about. It's not something that makes you a bad investor. But what we do have to do is take a step back when we get those feelings and say, "The move that I'm making today, am I making it because of what I heard last night, yesterday, 5 days ago, 10 days ago, a month ago, or am I making this move because it's a positive step for my long-term goals and it gets me in a better position to reach my long-term retirement or college savings or whatever my long-term goals are, if that's the the reason for the move, then that is one thing. If it's because of what happened yesterday, last week, last month, last year, that is a tactical move. We have become a tactical investor. You are now a market timer, and that is not where you want
2: to be. And we have recency bias, right? I mean, we call that recency bias in uh, behavioral finance, and that just means that... You know, the things that are right in front of us today, we weight more heavily than things that, that happened in the past. Um, and we really probably should weight the things that happened in the past more heavily. Like, for example, you know, if you were investing with us in 2008 and went through that with us, you realize what we did. You know, we talked to a lot of people, telling them to maintain their allocation a few, a few years later. Um, you know, pretty much everyone had recovered, uh, you know, from that downturn at that time um, if they stuck it out, and they were fine. It's mm. painful. I mean, it's not pleasant necessarily, but, uh, you know, and honing in on that. And I think it's really interesting that the investors that actually have the highest net worth in our client book are usually the ones that, when we talk to them during these particular market times, we had a client event last night and we were talking to some of the people. They're like, yeah, the market went down. You know, it goes down. I didn't like my weekly report, but I'm not going to do anything about it. You're like, yeah. It's the people that actually have the higher net worth that have been through it because they've compounded their money and they see it work. They go, Yeah, I know. This is how this works. So if you're newer to investing, it's gonna be more painful. You know, I, I think the millennials have probably the worst time to kind of be an investor right now. It's more difficult for them because they haven't seen a bona fide downturn where they had real money. Now they're finally starting to earn like real money and they're investing their money and they've they've built up a little bit of, of wealth and then this down market's gonna happen and they're gonna be panicked, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it goes back to what you were saying before. You know, well, two points. One, how often do we talk about Brexit anymore? Never, right? I mean, that's the recency bias. It was every headline every day back in 2016. For how long? It's not even two years later, and it's just barely two years later. And it, and it's so far in the rearview mirror you can't even see it anymore. And so when you talk about recency bias, it's 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 that idea of saying what what was going to be wor- you know earth, earth-shattering. You know, a year or two later is not even it, it's, it's barely a blip on the radar anymore. So we had one client pull out. With one client and pull he's out he's
2: still not back in because he's so paralyzed and he can't do anything. Right. So paralyzed and we told him don't don't do it. You don't want to pull out and he pulled out anyways. He said, This time it's different and guess what? It wasn't different. He missed a huge rally, you know, and, and that's just it's really tough. It's really tough. You can't there's do There's people it.
1: that have pulled out in 08, that are not back You're yet. right. Yeah. I mean, think about that decision to your long-term financial plan. I mean, there's literally... I don't know that you could really come up with a scenario that would be more harmful to your long-term financial plan uh, than having pulled out in 08 and 09 and missed this entire bull run to this point. Oh. I, I mean, I don't really know what else you could have done to, to harm your plan. Um, remember, the focus has to be your retirement plan, your financial plan. If you don't have one, you are... You know, you are just blindly driving without a GPS, without a map of any kind, you, you don't know where you're going, excuse me, you have to have that. And furthermore, you have to understand what these kind of, what we'll call recent intra-year moves has on you, the success of your overall plan. That's, that is, is the context in which we should make these decisions is if something that happened recently did have a material effect on my long-term plan, maybe then we should take a look at maybe doing something different. But if it did not have a material effect on your long-term plan, then reacting to it with, with activity is, more cases than not, the wrong decision to make.
0: Yeah. And just we're all financial advisors in this room, right? And it doesn't make us feel good when we see our weekly or monthly statements down and in the red. And you know, on paper, we lost X amount of dollars or X amount of percent. That doesn't make us feel good. But we know the data we know the numbers, we know the long-term strategy. So we just continue sticking with that strategy. So I'm not saying that we're shielded from that because we're still human. We still kind of feel it, but we know the long-term approach and, and we know what we're trying to accomplish with our own money too.
1: Well, we hope you really uh, got something out of this because this is a the, the, the type of podcast where we know that we're speaking directly to how people see their money, view their money, their feelings on it. And so these are the ones that we really want to um, try to hit the nail on the head when we can, because, um, you know, as, as Mitch alluded to, I mean, these, these are, these are scary times. We'll never tell you not to be scared. We'll never tell you not to be, uh, fearful of what's going on, but as long as that doesn't lead to you directing us to make, uh, poor choices on your behalf, um, then we're happy to have the conversation about it. Um, so let's have those conversations. If you're feeling trepidation, that's why you have us. That's why you pay us. Please you know, call us, book an appointment, come in, let's sit down and go over it. Um, and we can talk through what makes the most sense, but again, remember it will be founded or, or I should say it will be uh, rooted in what does your financial plan say? And that's always what our decisions will be predicated upon. Um, and that's the, the tool that we will use to help us make these decisions moving forward. So we appreciate your time. We'll be back soon with another, uh, episode of give me some truth until then. Um, have a great day.
2: You gotta leave.
1: That's
3: the masses of Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner in Accountant Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principle as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.